0: So this week, we're jumping back in to the book of anybody? John, John that's right. We're back into the book of John this week. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 3, where we're going to cover, one of the verses we're going to cover is the cover that, you know, the verse you see at every football game. Anybody? John 3, 16. I should have had somebody bring a poster board and hold it up in the back today. Uh, I always encourage you to open up your Bibles or to turn on your Bibles, follow along. We have a Bible provided for you. It'll be page 834. If you're in that Bible, I have some of the verses on the screen this morning. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about when Jesus went up into the clouds, when he left for his final time. We read about the end of Matthew that he didn't say to people, to his disciples, go therefore and make Christians. That was a term that came later. He said, go therefore and make disciples, followers of me. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. And we talked about what that looks like. Now today, what I wanna do is talk a little bit more about how that happens. Because of some very poor teaching in our churches, and because frankly, some of us who are gold, many of us, myself at times included, because of our apathetic commitment to God's word, we have a misunderstanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so today I want to talk about what it, how we get there, how it happens, so that we all may have a clear understanding. And in my prayer for this is twofold. One For those of you who are still seeking God, trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian, that after today, you will get a clear understanding of what it looks like. My second prayer is for those of you who have been in the church for a long, long time, that you will be refreshed and reminded by this word, that you'll be reminded and, and renewed, and you'll be looking for ways to describe the gospel to people around you in your life that you have been called to share the gospel with. Because once you have put your faith in Christ, it's your job, it's your assignment, your highest priority in life to go and make disciples. That you, as we read in Act 26, that you will open the eyes of the blind so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to, to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in God. That is my prayer for this, this morning's message May we see and hear what God wants us to see and hear. And may we respond in our spirits. Amen, church? Amen. 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 So this morning, we're going, to try, we're going to start right in John 3. And we're going to look at a time where a man named Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, he comes to visit Jesus at night. We'll pick this up in John 3, verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. Now, this man came to Jesus at night, at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs, you do, unless you were with him. Now, we have this man named Nicodemus and he had some interactions with Jesus. He's curious about Jesus. And so he comes and visits him. He does it at nighttime. Why? Because he was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. So he's like, let me just not let anybody else know I'm going to check out this Jesus guy. He starts out the conversation, gives him a couple nice compliments, which is a nice way to start a conversation. And then Jesus replies. And Jesus, in his reply, he goes straight for the point, like he often does. He goes right for the jugular, if you will. And he says this. He says to Nicodemus, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now I'm not 100% sure why Nicodemus came to see Jesus, what he ultimately wanted, but it doesn't matter because Jesus knew what he needed. He knew that there was something missing in Nicodemus' life. He says, Nicodemus, I know what you need. I know why you're here. You need to be born again. And this is important for all of us because we sit here today Christianity teaches, the Bible teaches us, Jesus taught us, just, just like Nicodemus, that every single one of us needs to be born again. Now, when I was growing up, I would meet people and they heard this, you know, they would, they would have this phrase, a born again Christian. And, and this was a phrase that was set aside uh, for the weirdos, right? This was set aside, if you grew up with Chuck Smith and Chuck Misler and Calvary Chapels down on the, the, the West Coast, this was for the surfers. Right, or this is for the people who run up and down the aisles with their prayer shawls, their bandanas, you know, their their trumpets, and then they're, they're ones that fall over flat on the floor shaking. That's right. Or this is for the the the, the gang and the murderers and the really really bad people. Or you know, it's for the Southern Christians, born again. It was it's you know, I, in fact, I've had people ask friends of mine, are are you born again, like like it's a disease or something, right? That's how some people view it. But the way that Jesus views it, he says, listen, you need to be born again. In Jesus' view, there's no difference between a born-again Christian and a Christian. You can't be a Christian unless you are born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. You cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Jesus says, every single man, woman alive needs to be born again, including you and I. I mean, think to yourself, if someone were to ask you, you know, are you born again, how would you reply? Would you you even know what it means? Now, for us to fully realize what Jesus was saying, we got to understand who Jesus was talking to. Nicodemus was part of the Jewish ruling council, right? He was a Pharisee. He would have been older He would have been established. He would have been uh, probably a well-educated, well-off. He would have been a scripture scholar. He would have been like one of the culturally elite. He would have been someone who worked to follow the hundreds of the laws of the Pharisees to be righteous in God's eyes, to be right in God's eyes. Bottom line, like when this guy, when it came to being religious, none of us would be able to hold a candle to this guy. When it came to religion and following religion, like Nicodemus, he would have been on like the varsity team. You know, the varsity jacket, the ladder, this was, this was the top guy. And yet Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, your religion is meaningless. Your laws are meaningless. Your, your good works you're doing are meaningless. Your, your traditions, meaningless. I mean, and notice Jesus doesn't even say like, man, Nicodemus, you're a good one you're a good egg, you're a good egg. I'm just gonna take you the rest of the way. You got this far, I'm gonna take you the rest of the way. He says no. He says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And this is a good reminder for all of us who base our standing with God by how religious we are or how good we are. That we we feel like God uh, loves us less when we're bad and we get it wrong and he loves us more when we get it right. If you have anything in your life that you do that makes you think that you are good with God or better off with God, then in another moment, you, you, you don't understand what Jesus is talking about when he says, you need to be born again. And based on Nicodemus' response, we can see and he doesn't quite get it either. He says this, he says, how can anyone be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? I mean, at this point, Nicodemus is going to be like, what? You've got to be looking at Jesus. What is wrong with this guy? Has the cheese just fell off this guy's cracker? I mean, what is he, you know, a few pennies short of a dollar? I mean, what? Uh, To get to heaven, I need to climb back into my, what? It's disgusting, Jesus. I need years of therapy just thinking about it. What what are you talking about? And Jesus says this, he goes, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. What does that even mean? Well, this idea of being born by water and spirit, it's a quote from the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. And it's a picture of God Cleansing our hearts. And so Jesus is saying here that our hearts is what God is concerned with. And you see this all throughout the scripture. We're always concerned with our actions and our words, but God, he's looking at the heart, the intent of why we do what we do, the driving force behind it. That's where God looks. We see this in 1 Samuel 16, The Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the what? heart. You can't fool God. We can fool people with our actions. We can fool people with our words. We can fool people with the tone of our voices. You cannot fool God. He sees what's deep down. He sees what's going on. And he said, you should be concerned with your heart too. Now, why does it need to be cleaned? Why do we need to clean our hearts? Because scripture tells us that our hearts are dirty with sin. Okay, this is unlike our culture right now, which tells everybody that they're awesome just the way they are. You're awesome and anybody disagrees with you, they stink, right? Right? rather than a lot of these religions that go around and tell you, you're just great, you're in this, you're just great as you are, you're a beam of light from the stars of the horoscope of the blah, blah, whatever. Scripture said, "No, no, at your core, your heart is dirty. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful more than anything else. It's incurable, incurable. Who can understand it? which means the heart will deceive us to getting whatever we want, no matter whether it's right or it's wrong. And Genesis eight twenty one says that every inclination of our hearts is evil from childhood. And then once again, this goes against the, the thought, I'm a good person. I hear this a lot. I'm a good person. You're, they're a good person. No, no. From the beginning scripture teaches our hearts are evil. I mean, Marie was telling me at VBS. Little Ella, my sweet little Ella baby, I love her to death, but she's starting to throw temper tantrums, okay? She doesn't get her way. No, 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 no. Just a couple of times, Maria's brought her over here and, to hand her off to me and she's punched me in the face. Like, get off. Think about it. when you were children, did you do every, did you just naturally tell the truth? Did you just naturally share? No, you had to be taught to do those things. We have to be taught those things, or our hearts are for selfishness and evil. You see this literally all throughout the world. This is why the psalmist cried out in Psalm 51 Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So I know my heart is dirty, I know that I am selfish. And this is a problem in the world today. When we don't realize that our hearts are dirty, that we're sinful, this is when we become selfish in our marriages. This is where we blame it on other people. This is where we don't forgive people. We see this in the world today, all cancel culture, lack of forgiveness. Why? Because we're better than other people because we don't recognize the sin that's in our hearts. When we're selfish in our jobs, in our lives, broken relationships, it it all stems from a lack of humility, a lack of understanding that every one of us at our core, our hearts are dirty and we are all about us. Even when we do good things, and sometimes we do good things, they are often because we've been taught to overcome something, a a sin that was in our heart, or sometimes we just do good things because they make us feel better about ourselves. They benefit us in some way. That's what Jesus said. Remember, He says, "Man, well, you know, it's easy to go love your friend or people that you care about. How much? How many of you will go love a neighbor? We're dirty in our hearts." This is what it means to be born of the flesh when he says this here in these two verses. But Jesus says, ah, oh, this ain't gonna work. If you wanna see the kingdom of God, you need to be born of the spirit. You need to be born again, which, which really means to be born from above. I'm not talking about like a stork here, right? It means to be born from above. Talking about a new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, The old has passed away, and behold, what? Anybody? The new has come. The new has come. The new has come. I mean, this is what he's saying. He's not saying like, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he's not saying like the old old is like less bad than it used to be, or it's not like the old has become a little bit better. He says like the old needs to be completely gone, completely gone. What Jesus is saying, what Paul is reaffirming here is that we don't need to be reformed in our lives. We need to be transformed. We're not changing what is. We're becoming something new. Something totally new. Complete transformation of your life. And this is the mistake that far too many of us made. We're working on reformation. We're trying to reform little areas of our lives to become better people. Just little things, little adjustments that we're trying to make. When we make those adjustments, we feel like, oh, we're a good person. We're just trying to change the old. But that's not what the gospel's about. It's not about you trying to improve your old nature. It's not about you trying to become a little bit better. Uh, than you were before. It's not about stopping all the bad things that you've done. Listen, the the gospel says that it's not the amount of sin that's the problem. It's the fact that sin exists at all that is the problem. Uh, Remember one of my favorite illustrations I always do is like our lives, you know, we look at our lives as like, you know, a cup of water. You know, a cup of water that's safe to drink. Scripture says, no, no. This is what your lives are. This is what your lives are like. Steve, will you take a drink of this for me? No, why not? Because it's dirty, right? It's dirty. This is what our lives are. It is no good. Without Christ, this is what our lives is. Now what we do is we try to like dress it up, right? We'll go out and we'll buy like a nicer glass, a nicer cup, right? you can't see it. We'll try to cover it up. We'll get all in there. We'll pour it all just in there. I'm making a mess. Sorry, cleaning people, but it's for Jesus. We'll pour it all in there. And then like, you're like, you can't see it anymore. We'll even, we'll just like, we'll take off all the cover just like that. Nice new cup. All right, Steve, you take a drink now for me. No. No. Why? Because what's inside is still dirty. No matter how much you clean it up. This is the same with our lives. Without Christ, no matter how many good things you think you go out and do, in the core of you, it's still dirty. It's still no good. It needs to be transformed. Your life. transformation. Transform who you trust in, where your faith is, who you look to in your life, where you find your strength, where you find your hope. And you actually, you can't find salvation until you accept this and you believe this, until you realize that at your core, you're not a good person. Like I said, you'll do good things, But doing good things doesn't make you a good person. In fact, I still can't even find a definition of what good is or how good you have to be to go to heaven. People say, oh, I gotta, if I'm just a good person, where, where is this definition? Where's the chart that shows my goodness? It doesn't exist. Jesus says, no, there is no amount of good. We must be transformed. See, when you're born of the spirit, you're transformed. That means when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and transforms you, when you put your faith in Christ, you, you literally get a new identity. You learn how to see God as your father and you as his child. I mean, this morning, were you, when you think of God, do you think of him as a father? Do you ever think of God as your father? Do you ever refer to him that way? Someone who is born again will. 1 John 3.1, now I'll get the right slide up. It says, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Scripture tells us that when we put our faith in Christ, that God adopts us as his children. He literally walks into the orphanage of the world and he adopts us into his family. And, and, And just like a child, When they get adopted, they get a new last name. They develop a new identity. They they have a new home. Everything changes. It's the same for us. Being born again means you grab a new identity, a whole new life. You you find hope and love and joy. You find new purpose. You find new direction. You, You get a new perspective on literally everything. It's a whole new life. Everything changes for you. It's not about just doing a few more new good things. It's a whole new direction of your life. Let me jump to, I'm gonna jump to verse 14. i want to jump on this, I'm gonna skip some verses. We'll come back. Now, how do we do this? How does this process happen? because some of us still get confused about this, that we have something to do with it, that we have work to do in this. I'm gonna go to verse 14 here and share a little old weird story from the Old Testament. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. He was talking about his death. He says, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. He goes to verse 16. Said, we know this one, right? For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have what church? Eternal life. life. All right, so Jesus shares this, this it's a weird story. It's weird, let's just just say it, it's weird out of the book of Numbers. And I'm not gonna go into full detail, I'm just gonna sum it up for you. But in the Old Testament, remember we talked about last week, uh, God saves the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, takes them into the wilderness, and then they completely rebel against him. And we're not gonna go all into the story. But one of the punishments is that these snakes come out of nowhere, bites them fatally. And so they're dying, looking like they're gonna get wiped out. Now God has every right to leave them that way, but he doesn't. Okay, I got a little painting here. And so he says to Moses, he says, look, take the, make a serpent out of bronze and put it up on a stick so that all who look at it will be healed, okay? And so that's what he does. People look at the snake and they're healed. Once again, weird story. But you'll notice that God throughout the Bible, and scripture talks about this, he'll do these things in people's lives to teach everybody else something. They're all a lesson. And Jesus says, look, in the same way, I'm like the snake. You are dead because of the poison of sin but all you need to do is look to me. You need to look to me to be saved and I'll do the work for you. I'm gonna do what you can't do. All right, now take this idea of I'm gonna do what you can't do and take it back to childbirth. Simple truth, nobody has ever decided to go and get born. None of us were ever out in the cosmos one day going, man, I'm bored out here. I think I'm gonna enter earth through the womb of a, a mother, right? It doesn't happen. Birth happens to you. The baby doesn't do anything. It's all the mom. The baby is brought into the world through the mother's labor. The baby is brought into the world through the mother's pain. Somebody else suffers. Somebody else is in labor. Somebody else is in languish. Somebody else is bleeding. Someone does all the work. It's the same way with the cross. Jesus takes all the pain. He takes all the anguish to pay the price for our sins. And just like a mother that delivers a baby, when it's being born, it's God who delivers us. You see, when we look to God, He is the one who delivers us. When you look to God, he will deliver you. Say it again. When you look to God, he delivers you. Now, what does it mean to look to God? Because I get out there, people out there in their lives, and they're like, I'm a good person. I love God. I've always loved God. I'm like, no, you haven't. If you're not born again, you haven't loved God. You loved a God that you've made up in your own imagination. You loved a God where you took the things in the Bible that you like, and you make that a part of your God, and the things that you don't like, you get rid of that. That's what you've done. you got your own God. That's not the God of the Bible. For you to look to God, you have to admit your spiritual bankruptcy before God you have to admit that outside of Christ and what he's done on the cross, you got nothing. Nada. In fact, Paul says this, I don't have it on the screen, but I'm gonna read it for you. He says, I got nothing. Problems of Philippians 3, 8 through 9. He spends the first few verses talking about everything, all the accomplishments he has, all the credentials he has, and then he says this. He says, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. From whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own, of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. He said, "I got nothing. All I got is Christ," and and you have to you have to be in agreement with Paul to. Be born again, because otherwise you'll never fully depend on God. If you don't think that you are sinful your core, if you don't realize this, you are still going to look to yourself. You're going to trust in your own views, your own ways, your own assumptions, and you're going to trust in God when it's okay with you, when it it fits your needs. But other times when it's going to cost sacrifice or things you don't like, you'll be like, I'm going to take it back on my own. And this is where, now this is the beauty of the gospel, but also the hard part. The beauty of the gospel is Jesus meets you right where you're at. We always love this phrase that God loves you just as you are. Bible doesn't talk about that. It says that God loves you in spite of who you are. And so he meets you in the middle. He says, I'm going to come, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to save you. And I'm going to help you to become the man or the woman that I know that you can be. if you look to me. Now, the thing that we get wrong is the look to you is, okay, I go to church on Christmas, I go to church on Easter, or maybe I even go to church Sunday, two to three Sundays out of the month, but the other six days of the week, God nowhere is nowhere present in my life. His word does not direct my decision-making. I'm not praying and depending upon him. I'm not even trying to be obedient to his word. Okay, looking to God is not like, it's not like, some people, I'll have them come up, you know, if you've ever seen an altar call where people come forward and they come forward for prayer to receive Christ. Just because someone comes forward to pray a prayer in one moment, it doesn't mean they're looking to God. Looking to God is a trust in him and his word, relying on his strength and his worth in your life. Saying, I'm, this is a new life, my new family, I'm gonna follow him in everything. Do you follow God in everything? It's hard. Joban and I were talking about this morning, Like, man, it is a pain being a Christian sometimes because the things that you are called to do don't benefit you. They don't feel like they benefit you. And this is why, you know, God says there are only a few will come. In fact, even you read this later when we'll cover John 6, that there are many disciples who withdrew and would not walk with Christ anymore because of what he required. There are many who come, they open up the Bible and they see what God require and they're like, no, that's too much. So don't get me wrong. We we look to God. It's his work that brings us into this new life. But this new life, it means a new life. Everything changes, everything. Now I'm not talking about perfection. It's not like we stop sinning. I sin a lot still. I've been a Christian a long time but it means that you are, have a desire to know your father and to practice his ways. And there's evidence in your life that you are trying to actually do it. And then you will see a, a pattern in your life of your sin becoming less and less and less and less and the things of God becoming more and more and more and more. And once again, this is not earn you anything. You don't do it because I'm, oh man, God loves me. He's gonna usher me in. I gave extra money in the tithe plate this week. I volunteered for VBS. That's gotta get me in the golden gates, right? No, no, you do these things. This is the difference between having a relationship with God and, 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 and other people who just have this religious connection to God, is you do these things because of what God has done for you, not because of what you can get out of it. It's like, we're, we're you know if you're an American, I'm an American. Growing up, I'd say the, the Pledge of Allegiance, we did it, I did it yesterday morning before Evan's swim meet. I do these things because I am an American. I salute the fight because I'm an American. I wanna know the Constitution because I'm an American. I wanna serve my country because I'm an American. I don't do them because so I can become an American, I do them because I already am. And in the same way, because Christ has died for me, and because by his grace and his mercy and his Holy Spirit overcoming my stubbornness and selfishness, I look to him in my life, I wanna serve him. I want to know more about him. I wanna know how to live. And so I'm gonna do my very best To learn and to try. And I'm going to fail over and over again. And His grace and His mercy will usher in. And there's always consequences for sin, unfortunately. But I will see Him as the years go on, Him working in my life. That's what it means to be born again. God is my life, He is my Father. My whole life is about Him. My whole life. My whole life. Not Sunday mornings my whole life, that's where I'm putting my faith. When the, God, when the Bible tells me something in, the, in here, that's where I'm putting my faith. Because wherever, whatever you believe in in your life, and most of us, we just choose not to believe anything because it's easier for us, you know why? Because we can be selfish if we don't really put our faith in anything, we can make it about ourselves. That's essentially, that's what it comes down to. But no matter what you believe in, you're putting your faith in that belief. If you believe in nothing, you're putting your faith in that ultimately which is just yourself. Every one of us puts faith in something. Every one of you in here is a person of faith. Every one of you. It just matters what that faith is. I put my faith in the word of God. And so because I put my faith in the word of God and I believe that God created everything and that what he wants best is for this world, then I take him as word. Now, it doesn't mean I don't have questions but I don't use those questions as an excuse to walk away. I dig in, I learn, I come to understand. And that's why I stand up here and I do what I do however many, 20, however many years later. Because being part of God's family is better than anything else. His ways have proved to be better time and time again. They're not always easier, but they're always better. And so my prayer this morning Some of you who are Christians, you have fallen into apathy in your life. You couldn't even... Share what it means to be born again if somebody held a gun to your head because you've fallen out of practice. It's not on your mind. It's not on your heart. You're going through your life, doing your motions. You might be doing good things, but you have lost your sight that your whole goal, at the end of the day when you die, the, the, the focus of your life should have been helping others come to a knowledge of the saving grace of Christ. And so my prayer is one that is gonna light a fire on you that you get your eye back on the ball of what your life is supposed to be. And it'll remind you and refresh your vocabulary and words on how to describe what it means to become a Christian. And then when God calls you to step over and talk to somebody and tell them about Christ, you're gonna have the words. Or when you see somebody who says they're a Christian, they're a friend of yours and they're not living this life, you're gonna be able to sit them down and say, brother, sister, you're getting it wrong. And be used by God to direct them. Some of you, you claim to be Christians, but it's a name only. Your life is not about your father in heaven. I pray you'd be convicted of that this morning. But that conviction would be followed up by God's grace, knowing that a loving father never turns away his children when they're bad. If that was the case, none of us would have families. But that you know that your father's waiting there and saying, okay. Now that your eyes back on me, let's continue to walk in that new life. And finally, my final prayer is for those of you, I'm, man, I, I hope when I pray today is the day that it clicked. Like, that's the, well, that's the gospel. That's the hope. Today will be the day that you say, Lord, I'm looking to you.